Off the ball. He's very, very dangerous player. In Scottish football, he's, he's probably... He's probably too good for Scottish football, if you know what I mean. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. Off the ball, daily. Welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. John Duggan with you through to five. Now, this weekend marks the start of the new Formula One season. The opening Grand Prix taking place in Bahrain tomorrow. In all, there are 23 races, a new race in Las Vegas in November, a week before the concluding Grand Prix in Abu Dhabi. Max Verstappen of the Netherlands is the defending world champion. Mercedes driver Lewis Hamilton is giving it another crack as he bids for an eighth world title. Joining us from Bahrain to look ahead is a senior Formula One writer with The Athletic, Luke Smith. Luke has the form. Yeah, good. Thank you, John. Yeah, it's really good to chat to you ahead of the new season. And yeah, just great to have Formula One back going again. It's been a long old winter and I think we're just excited to see how these uh, updated cars and drivers are going to fare this season. It should be a really, really exciting year, I think. Big time, Luke. Where is the health of the sport at the moment? Look, Drive to Survive Season 5 is out now. It's attracting a lot of younger fans. Is the sport in a good spot at the moment? Oh, it is. It's amazing, I think. I think F1 is probably the healthiest it's been in well, maybe we won't want to put a time frame on it, but a very, very long time for sure. I think that since Liberty Media, an American company, took over F1 in 2017, it's really changed how it's operated. It's thinking much more about sort of how to grow the sport. We're seeing that with a number of new races. Uh, we raced in Miami for the first time last year. We're going to Las Vegas this year, which is incredible, seeing F1 racing along the strip in Vegas. So if you'd have said that 10 years ago, I think you'd have been thought crazy. So it really just shows how much F1 has changed. Yeah, um, financial results, they published them the other day. They're doing really well as well. The teams are very happy with what they're doing. There's lots of new sponsors coming in. So I think all around, yeah, F1 seems to be in a really, really good place right now. It's one of the reasons why Drive to Survive is successful, Luke, in that it shows the humanity behind the car. Oh, totally, yeah. I think it's about those personalities and that's what makes it so, I think, relatable for people. Like, I remember when I first worked in F1 and was a fan growing up as a kid it was always the um yeah oh F1 like, I don't really know what that is or isn't it just a load of cars going around in circles and it maybe is a bit daunting and too technical for people to really understand but then Drive to Survive came along and basically said look we're not going to tell you about front wings and tires and things like that we're just going to say this is this these are the people these are the drivers this is who they are this is the ups and downs of being a Formula One driver and that I think really is what resonated and connected with people and made them want to know more about the sport and then in the end you do convert them into the kind of fans who do care about tires and wings and things like that so it's uh it's a good progress you can a good process you can really take them on and i think that it's it's done so much rep one and yeah it's those personalities it's the the, the petty politics even that are uh, so central to the sport that drives five really i think brought home to everyone's living rooms to see i love gunter he's the he's my favorite guy he's my favorite guy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you still never car- watched it though that's the thing how you not? No, no, no. I had um, we had a, a media breakfast with him the other day, and we just chatting just off record about things, and uh, we talked about Drive to Survive. And every year I ask him, "Have you watched it yet?" And he's like, "No, nope, never watched it, never will." So he's got all this this new fame, and yeah, people talking about him, and he doesn't know a single thing that he's uh, how he's been portrayed in the series, which is amazing. Very good, very good. How good are the cars at the moment, Luke? Yeah, it's looking good. Yeah, we've I think we've seen F1 take a big step forward with its performance over the years. And we're into, uh, I think, a really, really good spot with 
where F1 is right now. These cars are very, very exciting to watch. They're racing each other really well. They changed the rules last year to make it so that cars could uh, go wheel to wheel a little bit easier and uh, not be dropping back so far from each other. And uh, yeah, they were also getting more and more efficient as well. The the engines in there, the hybrid engines are very road relevant. It's getting manufacturers interested, wanting to join in the future. We're moving to sustainable fuels in 2026 as well, which has got um, Audi and Ford. They're going to be coming into F1, which is really, really good news. And again, that all just helps the sort of growing health of F1 right now. So yeah, the cars, I think are in really, really good shape. And again, just makes it really exciting for everyone to watch at home. Before we go through the teams, Luke, there's been a bit of off-season controversy. The FIA president, Mohammed bin Sulayem, attempting to clamp down on maybe political, personal, religious statements. There seems to be the pushback and maybe a climb down from him. The F1 president, Stefano uh, Dominicali, says he will not gag drivers. Lewis Hamilton says he's going to say what he wants. Where is that issue at the moment? Yeah, I think we're waiting to see this weekend in Bahrain what the first signs of that are, really. But it does seem like, I think, it's not going to change a lot, hopefully, in terms of drivers feeling that they can speak up and they are going to talk about important issues. We've seen Lewis Hamilton has been probably the most vocal in terms of Black Lives Matter or uh, LGBTQ plus rights, things like that. He he is wearing T-shirts. He's raising awareness of these really important issues all around the world. And we come to countries like Bahrain, like Saudi Arabia, where we go to next and where human rights is a, a very important topic and something that perhaps isn't in line with the rest of the world. There is this, um, I think, extra spotlight on F1 to be the platform to speak up and raise awareness and hopefully enact some positive change. So I think we're waiting to see from the drivers in terms of how they speak up, what they're going to do differently. But right now it sounds like that the FI's clampdown is, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to stop Lewis Hamilton from saying what he wants to say about important issues, which is, um, yeah, it's it's important that their platform is used, I think, to talk about these these big topics. Um, but yeah, but let's see in actual, I guess, um, yeah, reality when we get to the first race and when we maybe do see a driver try and um, do something that might overstep what the FIA looks at its plan down as doing, uh, just how that goes down. I saw a story today, actually on the BBC, Hamilton is allowed to wear a nose stud this weekend. And I'm thinking to myself, this is getting ridiculous. Yeah, that's um, that was an issue last year in terms of uh, driver jewellery and stuff. And it came down basically to a change in the race director, so the referee basically, um, saying that you couldn't wear any jewellery in the car. No studs and piercings are the, the main thing he meant, basically. The idea is that if you're pulling a driver out of a burning car and they maybe get their sort of no stud or something snagged on, I don't know, a bal- balaclava or overall or whatever, then it could actually be a safety issue. And uh, last year, Lewis said, well, I've got my no stud in. I'm not going to take it out. It can't be taken out very easily or very safely. So let me just keep it in. He was given a medical exemption in the end. And this year he's turned up with two no studs. He's got one in either nostril. And uh, that's, again, caused this to become another conversation. And yeah, I agree. It's a very boring story. It's very um, it's very silly. I don't think it really matters that much. Uh, Lewis, ultimately, he knows the added risk if there is any of what he's doing. And uh, yeah, they've thankfully, I think, drawn a line under that now said there's another medical exemption for him. So hopefully it won't be something we need to go on about anytime, any soon. <laughs> Who's running the sport? Is it the Americans? Is it Liberty Global? This gentleman, Mohammed bin Sulayem, What's the political power plays at the top of the sport at the moment? Because we know Bernie Eccleston uh, on it for so many years. Yeah, it's a combination. So we've got Formula One, which is the, and I'm talking about that as the company. They own, obviously, F1 and the commercial rights to the whole series. That's Stefano Domenicali. He's ex-Ferrari. He's uh, yeah, very, very good. He's been the president of F1 um, for 
for about two or three years now. That was a similar role to what Bernie did. So they basically act as looking after the business side and the show, let's say. And then you've got the FIA, which is the, um, they're the regulators. They look after the financial rules, the sporting rules, the technical rules. They'll say what the cars can and can't look like. And uh, they basically work in tandem together to make F1 the sport that it is and the teams also have a say in things as well that they're, they're part of um that that group and they can have the same rules like if there's a rule change that they completely disagree with they collectively can stop that from happening but um yeah it's kind of a dual system basically so it's a bit like i guess if uh yeah we look at the premier league for example we've got the fa who look after the the rules side of it and then there'll be a commercial side as well that's looked after by another party and they kind of work on it together is this red bull's title to lose uh, it's looking that way, but saying that we've just had first practice, sorry, second practice here in Bahrain, and it was Aston Martin who were quickest, which is a big, big surprise. But I, uh, I wouldn't maybe take a read on that for the full season. I think that it's looking like Red Bull are going to be very hard to beat this year. They won last year at a canter, seventeen wins out of twenty-two races. Max Verstappen getting 15 of those 17. So very, very impressive from them. The car, again, this year looks good. Max Verstappen was asked where it's improved and he said everywhere, which is a pretty ominous sign. One of his big issues last year with the car, if there were any big ones, was um, that it was overweight. It was up to 10 kilos over the weight limit. And obviously F1 teams want to make their cars as light as possible within the rules. This year, they've managed to solve that. They're down at the weight limit now, so that should help Max as well. Yeah, I just think that the advantage they had last year, Ferrari and Mercedes are very good teams, but it's such a big gap to make up to Red Bull that, yeah, right now it's looking like Red Bull's definitely the favourite to do another title sweep this year, I think. Where does Max rank in terms of the great drivers? Uh, I think he's definitely up there. I think that it's very hard this early in a driver or any sportsman's career to say for sure where they're going to rank when we look back at the end of their career. Max is only 25 years old, so it's uh, kind of scary to think he might not yet have hit his peak. But I um, I actually, a few weeks ago, did a, a, a piece where I asked various people within Formula One, so team principals, engineers, strategists from across the teams uh, to rank their quickest drivers of all times. Not the greatest, the quickest in terms of looking at someone and say they're just all outpaces up there. And I think Max was about fifth overall in the rankings up there with Lewis Hamilton, Ayrton Senna, Michael Schumacher, Jim Clark. And that to be there at such a young age is like, wow, that's a sign that he is seriously good. And I think as the years go on, if he keeps up this form, especially more records are going to fall his way. He could easily be up there with what Hamilton and Schumacher achieved. So, uh, yeah, maybe I think it's hard to say right now if he'll definitely be considered one of the greatest of all time. But I think that unless something dramatic happens, I think if he keeps up this form, he'll definitely be in that conversation. Has Hamilton got much left of the tank? He's 38 now. Is he, is he going to be uh, here for is he going to be another year or two in him? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Lewis is very, he's very upbeat about sort of his future and what he's doing. And it's been a tough couple of years now for Mercedes. Last year, the car just simply didn't cut it. That's why Hamilton went through the first winless season of his F1 career. And uh, yeah, this year, I think they're in a not as bad a position. I think they've solved a lot of the car issues that held Hamilton back last year. But even after today, he sort of seems a bit downbeat about where Mercedes is in comparison to Red Bull in particular. But he said, look, I'm committed. He said on uh, Thursday that it doesn't matter if um, it doesn't matter sort of how the team fares this year. Like he's committed. He wants to continue with Mercedes. He wants to keep doing 
lots of work off track as well with Mercedes as well. So, uh, yeah, I think he's definitely got another year or two in him. He keeps saying that he feels fit as ever. He feels better than he did when he was in his 20s. So, uh, yeah, I'd expect to see him knocking around for at least another couple of years in F1. To the uninitiated, Luke, how does a team become so dominant like Mercedes have and then suddenly they're not? What are the factors that make that change? Well, the big thing is the rules. So it's what the FIA writes, those technical rules in terms of how the cars must be designed and everything like that. And when you give basically a set of rules to these engineers, they'll all come up with various ways of interpreting them. And these are some of the finest engineering minds in the world. And they'll come up often with different concepts. So Red Bull might come up with one way of designing the car. Mercedes might come up with another way. And it tends to be that there's one best way basically to go and that's what red bull hit last year their car concept was quite different to what mercedes did mercedes as one example the side of the car was really really slim and that was designed to um sort of change how the air flows to the back of the car and red bull went for a more traditional design that ultimately was better and lots of other teams have since followed and basically mercedes is now stuck with this car concept that they're trying to kind of redesign and adjust as every season goes by to get it into a more more of a Red Bull style, I guess, is what you'd want to be doing. But obviously they feel that if they stick to their own concept, that down the line they might actually be able to be even quicker than Red Bull are. So it's kind of this cat and mouse game the engineers play against each other. But really, yeah, it just comes down to the, the rules change. You've given a blank canvas to work from instead of saying, right, we knew this car was the quickest last year. Let's just redesign it a little bit. Now there's been such a big change with last year's rules. That was why Mercedes uh, fell down as it did. So there's going to be a sliding scale of restrictions around aerodynamic research proportional to a team's success. Is this a game changer? Will it deliver a more level playing field for the teams? Uh, I think it's definitely going to help. Yeah, I think that the the aero limit, so you give a team that finishes last in the championship, they get much more time to do um, aerodynamic testing with their car and the sort of wind tunnels where you work out like you might design a new front wing, you put it in the wind tunnel, you see how aerodynamically efficient or effective it is. It'll definitely help. And I think it will definitely help narrow the playing field a little bit. I think the bigger thing, though, is the budget cap. So that came in in 2021. And for the first time, set a limit, $145 million on what each team could spend in a season. Before that came in, your Ferraris, Mercedes, Red Bulls were spending maybe double that. So they've really had to cut back. And the smaller teams can now sort of like, spend on a par with those bigger teams although the big teams have still the best facilities the best wind tunnels the best simulators over time it should bring things together so i think both of those factors combined hopefully in five years time we're saying oh well 10 drivers could win this world championship and it'd be far more competitive than it is now we're speaking to luke smith from the athletic on the new formula one season he's in bahrain ahead of the opening grand prix this weekend ferrari are they going to be competitive charles leclerc and carlos Sainz. Their drivers this season? They've definitely got, I think, a good chance of being in that fight. I think if you look at anyone's challenge Red Bull properly this year, I think it is Ferrari who are most likely to fill that. Charles Leclerc is just a phenomenal driver. I think he's up there on Max's level in terms of pure ability. Um, I think he just needs the right car to put it all together. We saw glimpses of it last year. He took more pole positions than any other driver. But Ferrari, through the season, they just couldn't keep up with Red Bull in terms of the development they did on their car. Red Bull just took step up, step forward, and Ferrari couldn't keep up. And that's what cost them, really. But the early part of last year, Ferrari and Red Bull were very neck and neck. 
Leclerc won three races and looked really, really competitive. So, uh, yeah, I think I'd expect them to definitely be there to pick up the races that Red Bull doesn't win this season. I think they'll be Red Bull's closest challenger over the full year. But, um, yeah, it's going to be a big ask, I think, for them to, again, bridge that gap to Red Bull they made at the end of last year. The early signs from testing suggest that, yeah, Ferrari has maybe in the same kind of ballpark, but Red Bull just looks so far ahead right now. It, it might be quite tricky, particularly in this early part of the season. But Ferrari said they've got plenty of developments and updates planned for their car. So redesigning certain elements, finding bits that will give them more time. And uh, hopefully that might uh, even up the fight at the front a bit. One of the more interesting storylines is Fernando Alonso, in his 41 years of age, uh, driving for Aston Martin. Lawrence Stroll is ambitious. And they could be a bit of a bolter in terms of constructors' performance. Definitely, yeah. So the team finished seventh in last year's championship, but the way they came on at the end of the year, they looked very, very, very quick. Fernando Alonso signing for the team, a two-time world champion, one of the best drivers there is in F1, even at 41 years old. That was a really big statement for Aston Martin to make. Lawrence Stroll has invested hundreds of millions into this team. He wants to make it a success. And it looks like it's, it's getting there. Like today... Aston Martin really, really were impressive uh, through practice. And I think that all the way through preseason, we've been talking about them as a dark horse and looking really, really competitive. And I think it's real. It is looking like they could well be not at the very front, I don't think, even as encouraging signs have been through practice. But I think definitely getting closer to that big three of Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari. And nobody expects them to be this quick, this early. So I think it's a really encouraging sign for how they're going about things. What about the rookies then, Luke? So Oscar Piastri with McLaren, Nick DeVries with Alpha Tori, the American Logan Sargent with Williams. How are they going to get on? It's going to be interesting. Piastri is probably the uh, the one I'm most excited about. His junior record was amazing. He won Formula 2, Formula 3, um, Formula Renault. He's, he's won everything he's raced in, basically. And last year, he was subject to a contract uh, saga between McLaren and his old team, Alpine, who wanted to put him in F1 for this season. And uh, in the end, McLaren was... We went to court and they were ruled to have got the rights to put Oscar in its car for this year. And uh, yeah, he's very, very exciting. He's managed by Mark Webber, uh, the former F1 driver. I think he's going to be a real, real talent. He just needs the right car. McLaren in pre-season, it wasn't quite clear where they were. But I think once Oscar finds his way in F1, gets the right car, I think he'll be a real, real star of the sport. At the other end of the spectrum, in terms of uh, age and experience, is Nick DeVries. He's, uh, he's 27, 28, I think. So one of the oldest rookies F1 has had for some time. He's older than more than half the grid, which kind of shows uh, how much older he is. And he did one F1 race last year for Williams, uh, Alex Albon. He had appendicitis, so... DeVries stepped in at the last minute and he finished ninth on debut in a car that really shouldn't have been in ninth place. So he's a really, really good driver. He's won Formula 2 as well. He won Formula E as well. So he's, um, again, got so much, I think, talent. It's really good to see him in F1. He's been talked about for some time as one of these people who should be in F1. Things haven't quite fallen his way and now they finally have. And uh, yeah, Logan Sargent, he's stepping up from Formula 2 last year. He'd only done one year in F2, so really impressive to make such a quick rise. I think that it's it's definitely been, I think, a, a quite a rapid move up the ranks for him. So it will be interesting to see actually how quickly he gets used to F1 because he's kind of being thrown in at the deep end after... Only two years ago, he was in Formula 3. So it's been a real, real quick change for him. But I think for F1 as well, to have an American driver on the grid is very exciting. So let's see. I think all three of them have got really, really good potential. I think they're all really good additions to this grid. And uh, yeah, hopefully are going to be around for many years to come. We saw Roman Grosjean's horrifying crash at Bahrain uh, a few years ago. 
Where is the sport when it comes to safety at the moment? Is it as safe as it can be, as dangerous as it is, obviously? I think that's a never-ending challenge, really, for the FIA and the rulemakers in Formula One to, to work on. They want to ensure that, yeah, it is as safe as possible for the drivers going out there, putting their lives at risk every time they do race. Motorsport is dangerous inherently. It always will be. But you look at the number of accidents now that drivers walk away from unscathed. You look at Grosjean's accident, as you mentioned, in Bahrain a couple of years ago. And that was just the most incredible show, I think, of just how much F1 safety has come along through the years. I think it's, yeah, just been remarkable that so many crashes now that maybe 40 50 years ago a driver would would have been killed in they now walk away from as though nothing's really happened so it's um yeah i think it's something that the fia is always working on the cars last year for example when they were redesigned certain elements were made stronger or reinforced made a bit heavier to try and make it even safer for the drivers and i think that yeah it's something that will always continue but it's heartening to see that these accidents now don't really seem to be as concerning as they were in the past. That said, it can never be lost. I think the the number of lives we've lost over the years in, in, in Formula One and just how dangerous the sport can be. So, yeah, it's a never-ending battle, I think, and it's something that, thankfully, our sport rulemakers and the drivers always have at the forefront of their minds. You're in the paddock, you're in the pit lane. What are you seeing that is piquing your interest at the moment in terms of storylines? Um, I think, honestly, I think Aston Martin and Fernando Alonso, I think that is the big thing. Alonso, he's made all of these big career moves and he's always kind of been in the, the, the right place at the wrong time. He's driven for McLaren twice, Ferrari, he's uh, Renault even three times, I think, with them. And he's not won a title for 16 years. And I remember when he started in F1, he became the youngest world champion, the youngest double champion. And it looked like he was going to tear up the record books and go on this long, long run of titles. And it just never has materialized. He's always been quick. He's always been really, really good and has taken a car to the maximum of its performance and beyond. He's done stuff where you think there's no way he should be up there with that car that he's got. But now it looks like he's finally got a really quick car. And that's so exciting that F1's oldest driver, after all these years, could be rolling back the clock and maybe able to fight for wins again. It's uh, Yeah, I think that's the probably the storyline I'm most excited for this season. Michael Andretti is trying to get into the sport. I was reading that it's going to cost him 200 million to do so. Is it very much a fixed situation that you have your 10 teams and it's hard now for anybody else to break into that? Basically, yeah. I mean, we talked about F1's commercial boom and ultimately the teams are saying, well, we've been here for 10, 20 years or longer in the cases of teams like Ferrari. We've invested so much in F1. We've helped make the sport what it is. Why would we want to give up this kind of club that we've got? Why would we want to let someone else join unless they really bring a lot of value and something to the table? And if you think about it, F1 has its um, its prize money, which is paid out to the teams, about a billion dollars a year. And that's cut between 10 teams at the moment. There are various movements in terms of some get paid more than others, depending on championship position. But Ultimately, if you look at it in quite a basic way, if you expand that pie from being cut between 10 teams to 11 teams, everyone gets a little bit less. So that's why there is this $200 million anti-dilution fund at the moment saying that if you pay that, that would make up for 
the reduced um, slice that everyone's getting. But teams don't think that's big enough. They want it at least tripled, is my understanding. $600 million, I think, is the, the minimum level they're looking at to really make it worthwhile. And Michael Andretti, yeah, it's a great name in American motorsport. But I think what F1 and the teams are asking at the moment is, well, what is it going to bring to us? We've got an American team already in Haas. We've got an American driver now in Logan Sargent. So would Andretti joining the grid actually be a big game changer? And that's something they're all trying to work out right now, I think. If you were to recommend a Grand Prix race to go to for anybody who's never been to one, what would you recommend? Oh, um, I would say go to the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa. I think it's the most wonderful circuit in the world. It's got these amazing hills. It, you can walk all the way around the track and see all the different corners and I think really see F1 drivers and cars at their absolute limit. They're going yeah, through um, the complex at the start of the lap, Eau Rouge and Radion. Basically, I've, I've run up that bit of track many times and it's so so steep and the cars are doing it with pretty pretty much with ease but the forces of the drivers and the cars are going through is is really really tough but spa yeah it's great you can go and you can camp or you can find a nearby uh town to try and stay in it's a real social atmosphere i think it's great to uh yeah take your chair get there nice and early get a good spot on the grass verge and watch all the action because i think that is where you really see f1 cars at their absolute peak are there do's and don'ts for anybody who's looking to go to a grand prix race in terms of their race going experience um i think I, th I think probably the biggest don't is just just um don't um well the biggest do let's say just be respectful be nice to everyone you meet be nice to all these different fans you have the the mad max Verstappen fans dressed in orange and all their costumes and stuff you have the the passionate ferrari fans you've got the mercedes fans at, at silverstone and uh, it's just I've, what I love about F1 is that for so much of the fan bases, there is uh, real respect between them. Everyone loves F1 ultimately at the end of the day. They want to see great racing. We don't want to be cheering because certain drivers crashed out or anything like that. So I think that being respectful is really the biggest thing. Um, I think in terms of the, the, the experience going, um, yeah, I think just try and get as much action in as you can. Like if you can get a ticket where you can go around various grandstands or various seats um, or points of the track so you can see every bit of the circuit basically not just one corner um and have a walk around particularly in practice i think that'd be my biggest recommendation and uh yeah just just enjoy it like it's the most wonderful sport in the world i think um i've i dedicate my life to covering it and uh yeah it's just a wonderful wonderful um it's a wonderful experience for fans going get a real sensory overload it's the the smells of the cars the sounds everything i just think it's such a great live sport to go and watch is it like a big circus they roll up the tents they arrive somewhere and then honestly they... yeah yeah and we take it all down again we call it the traveling circus there's the, the paddock where all the teams got their massive motor homes and uh and all of the uh basically everything to make the race happen in terms of the uh the, the tires and all the technical bits and bobs they've got and it's all taken down and in two weeks time we're off in another country on the other side of the world basically it's uh it's quite a remarkable uh traveling circus but it's it's a lot of fun i must say is it close-knit? Do the drivers get on? Is there much uh, distance between the teams? Uh, are they all like meeting for a beer at the end of a Grand Prix or is it all just no business here? Um, It's largely business, to be honest. But you do see that like 
I know, say two teams staying in the same hotel, then I think they have, the mechanics and team personnel are quite happy to maybe share a beer or have a chat. But it's, uh, yeah, for the drivers, they they are quite close-knit in some places. Some of them are, are really good friends and they might go out together after a race or something like that. And the drivers at least once a year will all go to dinner all together, all 20 of them, which is a really good sort of uh, bonding exercise for them. There's always going to be rivalries as with any sport. That's what gives it that bit of edge, I guess. But uh, yeah, for the most part, I think the drivers do get on. They're all quite a similar age now as well which i think helps they all know yeah twitter and social media and everything like that so uh yeah i think they they know in terms of public image that getting on with each other is uh is, is a good a good shout and just to finish luke las vegas stage in a race in november that is going to be something else on this trip i cannot wait honestly it's it's going to be so exciting it's i think that is f1 really making a statement saying that we're here on the strip of las vegas at night, the neon lights, Saturday night, prime time. I think that's just going to be such a cool moment for the whole sport. I think that will really show that F1 has properly arrived and made it in America. Racing, I think, in the US's most visible location. So, yeah, I think that's the one that we're all most excited about, um, myself included. I've never been to Vegas before, so I think we're all uh, quite keen to get there and see what it's like. So I think it'll be a, a great moment for F1 to cap off what's hopefully going to be a great year for the sport. Luke Smith, senior Formula One writer with The Athletic. Enjoy the magical mystery tour around the world of Formula One this year. <laughs> and thank you very much for speaking to Off the Ball Saturday here on News Talk. Thank you very much. Off the Ball. He's very, very dangerous player. In Scottish football, he's, he's probably, he's probably too good for Scottish football, if you know what I mean. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app.